As we get ready to cheer on our teams in the Olympics, Team GeoInt is working behind the scenes to help security personnel ensure the safety of the audience and athletes at the games. For special events like the Olympics, NGA analysts spend time studying and mapping locations of Olympic venues and hotels, the surrounding areas, and transportation infrastructure. Then we develop digital and hard copy geospatial products to support event security, including efforts like transportation of world leaders and athletes during the games. Not only does NGA support Olympians, but an Olympian once supported us, but more on her later. First, we'll meet two NGA teammates who are supporting the Pyeongchang Winter Games. I'm Christina. I am the NGA lead for the 2018 Pyeongchang Winter Olympics. I'm Mike. I'm the uh, NGA mission manager for international special events. Great. Can you talk to us a little bit about what kind of support NGA provides to special events like the Olympics? Sure. We, uh, we work with the uh, interagency community. There's an international special events group. Uh, that's run through uh, Department of State, uh, but it uh, involves the entire community, FBI, Secret Service, everyone that you would think from the USG uh, who's involved with providing support to these events and security for the events. Uh, so our, our support is done through them. Uh, there is a tier ranking system that they do uh, for how events are ranked throughout the year. Uh, the Olympics is a tier one event, uh, so that is receives really the, the highest level of USG support uh, that can be uh, provided. Uh, with that, NGA uh, will provide uh, deployed support during the event, uh, supporting a, a joint operations center uh, in Korea, uh, and will provide geospatial intelligence products to the community uh, through that joint operations center. What kind of, do, can you give us some examples of products we might provide and what they would be used for? Yeah, I mean, the baseline uh, information we provide is for situational awareness and, and really mission planning type uh, support. A lot of it is done uh, prior to the events. So a lot of the production work has already been done for the Olympics, uh, even though it's next month. Uh, the production side of it, um, for the most part, is complete at this point mm -hmm. uh, because it's done for mission planning uh, to allow people to get an understanding of where things are happening uh, throughout the AOR. Uh, especially an event like this, and that's the size and scope that it is, it covers a very large area uh, in South Korea. Uh, so we kind of provide a way to visualize and kind of uh, interpret where things are happening in relationship to one another throughout the entire peninsula. And Christina, what's your day-to-day -day like, especially now getting leading up to opening ceremonies? Sure, yeah. <clears> the <throat> thing about this job is every day is different. Uh, it's a lot of coordinating and working with in internal and external customers to um, figure out what were the requirements for the State Department and then um, who in NGA has the data or, you know, um, just who can, who can work on the, the products themselves. Mm -hmm. How does an event like the Olympics differ from other special events we might support? Um, and maybe what are some of those other events? I mean, really, the, the type of support that we provide doesn't necessarily differ because it's an Olympics. Um, we also support things like G7 summits, G20 summits, the political summits uh, that are out there um, as well that, that aren't as long in duration as an Olympics, uh, so they may not receive that tier one rating, uh, but obviously they're also very important events uh, to the protection and security of, of what's happening wherever that may be. Uh, but, but really that baseline information that pro we're providing, whether it's for an Olympics or for one of the political summits, 
uh, it's the same kind of thing. Uh, it's just obviously something like the Olympics may be a little bit more magnified just because of the, the size and scope of, of what that event is. What about domestic events? Um, NGA has supported things like the Super Bowl or something like that in the past, right? We have, uh, starting back in 2002 with the Winter Olympics after 9-11, that was really the first time we kind of got our, our feet wet in the, in the domestic arena mm -hmm. in terms of supporting special events. Uh, we deployed a team of folks out to, to Salt Lake City to support that event, um, and it kind of grew from there in terms of our support to FBI. Uh, over the years, uh, we have kind of taught other folks, other agencies, how to kind of do the same kind of support. So a lot of the domestic um, special events side of things more falls towards DHS and FBI at this point as opposed to NGA mm -hmm. taking as, as much of a lead as we did back after 9-11. So who uses the products NGA creates for special events like these? So some of the unclassified stuff, that, like the map books that are produced, um, are done at an unclassified level so they can be handed down to the first responders, the guys on the grounds, you know, the, the boots on the ground that are responding to incidents that may happen. Uh, a lot of times for these events, especially something that the size of the Olympics where you're bringing in you know, hundreds of people that, that may not be familiar with South Korea, uh, it really provides them that kind of quick first look uh, at what the, the their area of responsibility is. You know, if they're responsible for the ice center, they can quickly see a, you know an overhead imagery and map mm -hmm. of, of what that area is like. So if they need to respond to that that facility, or even things like egress routes too, like what's the best way to get out of a location if something were to happen. Definitely, and and again, we try to everything we try to do, uh, we try to do it at the unclassified level as much of it as we can, uh, so that the people that are on the ground doing the job uh, have access to this information. Mm -hmm. yeah. Are there different challenges depending on the location? I don't I don't think from us we have any differences with that. Um, we work really closely with the Olympic Security Coordinator from State Department and they're responsible for working with that host nation who's organizing the games. Maintaining those relationships yeah, and things. Yeah. yeah, and so we respond to his requests, you know, for information mm -hmm. and a lot of times, you know, we'll do stuff for them that also helps out this, you know, organizing team for, for Korea in this particular example. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the big thing is, is we do it through the Olympic Security Coordinator, uh, who's a Department of State appointed um, person. Um, but again, everything that we do, not everything, the majority of the stuff we do is provided to the Olympic Security Coordinator, and then they have the ability to provide it to that host nation um, contingent of people as well. I think something else neat with all of this process is, um, you know, the Olympic Security Coordinator doesn't usually have a background, like an intel background, um, so they're not always familiar with NGA and the kind of work we provide and um, how we can help support them. So a lot of it is educating them on uh, the kind of GEO and support we can provide and how it helps them with their day-to-day -day job. Right. Yeah, and that can kind of be said for every event that we support, uh, because every place we go, it's a, it's a new either regional security officer or, or some other uh, new person that's involved in the mix. Obviously, we work through the headquarters elements, but the, the people uh, forward deployed um, at the embassy or at post um, obviously are the ones that kind of drive the requirements and what is provided. Uh, and they so may not even know what to ask for if they're not mm -hmm. familiar with GEOINT. Right. Yeah, in most cases, it's an, it's an educational process. Uh, usually, we'll go out and, and meet with these folks prior to any kind of support that's provided. Uh, for a case of the Olympics, I know Christina's been out two or three times to Korea to meet actually with the Olympic security coordinator, make sure that we're 
providing information that is useful to them and not just something that we think is, is valuable, but it's something that's coming from a direct requirement from the folks in the field. So how did you get into this team? How did you get into this line of work, I guess? Uh, you know, I don't really know. Um, yeah, like I said, I started as an intern and then went over to analysis and I've worked a variety of issues. Uh, I really like Korean issues and um, so when this opportunity presented itself, I also used to work uh, domestic stuff, you know, like Mike did years ago, so it was kind of neat to come full circle. Each event does come from different uh, lines of business within NGA uh, based on the regional aspect of it. So, uh, the, like the upcoming Summit of the Americas, uh, which is in uh, Lima, Peru, will be handled by the Western Hemisphere line of business. Um, also, the Pan Am Games that will be coming up in 2019 is in Peru as well. So the Western Hem Hemispheres has a few uh, different events that, that they'll be helping support the community with. So is it a brand new team every time, or is it some holdover and some new, depending on the, the region? So it's a brand new team. Um, myself as the mission manager, uh, my responsibility is to go back and coordinate across the lines of business um, for wherever that event may take place. Mm -hmm. um, so for the Olympics, it was the you know the Asia Pacific line of business. Uh, for the Pan Am Games in 2019, it'll be the Western Hemisphere's line of business. Uh, so we don't have like a, a central cadre of, of special events folks within NGA. Uh, we tap into each one of the different lines of business and rely on the, the analysts. And there, there's obviously some uh, some training that go is, mm -hmm. that's involved with that to make sure that the type of support that's being provided, regardless of if it's in Korea or if it's in Peru, is similar um, and people are getting the same type of thing that they're used to getting from NGA, uh, but it is a different group of people every time we support an event. Cool. And every event's also very different too, you know, like Rio had a lot of issues with crime and, um, you know, Zika and um, with Korea we don't really know exactly what all we're going to have, but, you know, especially with issues being on the peninsula right now. Uh, you know, that's, that's going to be interesting. and So it requires different skills, different people. Right. Which is where the regional people come in, mm -hmm. come in to play. Moving from support to participation, let's get back to that story of our very own Olympian, Helen Stevens. Spectators in Berlin were treated to a monster physical culture display between events. 12,500 Berlin schoolchildren going through their routine with fine precision. The 400 meters women's relay with America, Great Britain, Canada and Germany as close rivals for the prize. Germany gained the lead, but a fumbled baton change put them out of the running. In the final stage, Barbara Burke couldn't hold the American sprinter Helen Stevens, who won for the States by about six yards. How these women can run. Helen Stevens won two gold medals for track and field in the 1936 Olympic Games in Berlin, earning the nickname the Fulton Flash, a shout-out to her hometown of Fulton, Missouri. Following her Olympic career, Helen worked in St. Louis as a librarian at the U.S. Air Force Aeronautical Chart and Information Center, a predecessor to NGA. Sharon Kenny Hansen published a biography of Helen's life and sat down with us to tell us a little bit more about our own Olympic librarian. 
the first chapter deals with her home setting, the fact that she was a very poor farm girl, very poor. Her father didn't want her to go to high school even. He wanted to get a job in a shoe factory and help with the farm because he had one other child, a, a boy, five years younger than Helen, and he needed the work help. And we're talking, you know, the Depression years. But Helen had a gift. And then from there, well, first off, her coach discovers her. She's one of the few athletic girls who uh, he saw playing basketball in the Methodist um, church basketball team for girls because her high school didn't have anything except a gym where they probably played badminton and they had a um, maybe softball, I don't know, but mostly it was an athletic thing and it was nothing too strenuous for the girls, you know, supposed to strain themselves. But he put her on a, a cinder path with a few other girls to just clock it for running speed because he saw what an aggressive basketball player she was. And uh, she's ran the 50-yard uh, dash in uh, the same time that the then title holder, Betty Robinson, did. And so he had to run it again at the same time. So he knew he had a, nat uh, a natural talent, a natural ability there. And he had to get money from the permission and money from the superintendent to send her to the uh, Amateur Athletic Union Championships. They didn't have a girls team, and she was going to be a one-woman team. And the superintendent didn't want to send her to St. Louis at the arena to compete in this, but that's where her fame began. Then off to the Olympics. Okay. Um, would you mind touching a little bit more on her Olympic accomplishments? You've talked about okay. um, how there were certain restrictions as to how she had to code her diary and how she read Mein Kampf. But um, what did she accomplish at the Olympics? Two gold medals. Uh, she, of course, was going to be running the 400-meter uh, relay, four girls running in a relay. And the, the German team was expected to win. Uh, but uh, this is a metaphor that I use and others have used. Uh, the German team dropped the baton. They got the baton in a big way, actually, the Germans, with World War II, right before World War II. And, um, but still, Helen set a record, because she had set a record with the 100-meter race and won her gold first with that, and then she was the anchor. And Dee Beckman, who's also from St. Louis, who'd been in the 1928 Olympics but hadn't won anything, um, was Helen's Olympic coach then. One other thing, would you mind touching on um, or explaining a little bit more about her interactions with Hitler when oh. he invited her up. Yeah. Well, she just won the 100 meter and she looked a mess. I mean, she was tired, sweating, you know, and her hair was all over. And um, Dee Beckman was with her and they were uh, stopped by a little uh, soldier. He said, you must have, I don't do German, I don't speak German, but, you know, he said, you must come, my, my Herr Hitler wants to visit with you in his private booth, come now. And Helen said, no, we can't. We're going to be interviewed on something like this. You know, it wasn't for podcast, but it was for radio broadcast. And Helen wants to get dressed up. She's going to have pictures taken of her and get cleaned up, fixed up. And we can't come right now. And he said, oh, I can't tell my, my Fuhrer, no. I will be shot. And she said, you won't get shot. Well, Dee Beckman did speak German. And uh, so she made Hitler wait. And then when she came into the uh, booth, the private booth, and the, um, the, the International Olympic Committee was not happy with Hitler because he would, 
periodically called the winning athlete to his booth uh, to, you know, visit with him. And this was just another one. He called Helen because she was this amazing, surprise, wonderful athlete. Called her in, and she and Dee went in. And then a bunch of uh, soldiers came in with guns, Lugers, and, and Hitler was there. And then a photographer, for some reason, got in and took a picture. So there's this famous picture of Helen with, the, with Hitler. And um, according to Helen, and this is in, out of her own mouth in a uh, BBC um, Boston TV presentation segment called The Sporting Fever, she tells about how he put his arm around her and patted her and pinched her butt and, you know, and invited her to go to Bergesthop and his uh, mountain home where, and to, to consider being a German uh, team member, changing her allegiance to the United States to run for Germany. And she said, no, thank you. Shook his hand, got his autograph. And then when people see that picture, they think, oh, she must have been a Nazi, Helen. You know, these were strange times. They're always strange times, aren't they? Um, so parts of Helen's story seems extraordinary. You know, she tied a record in the women's 50-yard dash as an untrained high school student when the boys track coach on a whim decided to time her after watching her play basketball. Yep. She was hit on by Adolf Hitler at the 1936 Berlin Olympics after she caught his attention with her athletic performance. And she was accused in a major news magazine of being a man masquerading as a woman to set world records. I mean, is this all for real? It is for real. You know, I had time to visit with her and go through all the dark, the uh, newspaper accounts and letters and so forth. But, I mean, there's no way to, <laughs> to say this is made up, y even in the fact that it was during yellow journalism still. Um, it's all true. I don't want to overlook the fact that it, it was compounded by the fact that she only ran about a second slower than Jesse Owens. Yeah. It's, it's for real. And then it, you would think, okay, that's enough. Stop there. But no. She goes on and does other things. Oh, She's yeah. an athlete all her life. In fact, she died um, in uh, 1994, in January, just a month shy of her next birthday. And she had competed in the games, in the summer games, senior games, five months earlier. She, she is a People who knew her when she worked at NGA described her as quite a character. Does that sound about right? Well, that's the one question uh, I've thought about. Uh, quite a character can mean anything. Uh, she was witty, outgoing, gregarious, um, expected uh, life to be fun and work to be fun. And so she was pretty well liked by higher-ups. Did Helen enjoy her work in a quiet government reference library after living such an eventful life in the public eye as an athlete? She didn't retire, really. She worked as, uh, uh, not worked, she she uh, managed and was captain of different corporate basketball teams, the Flyerettes from the Curtis Wright, and I think that uh, the Defense Mapping Agency had softball and other events that, that she was active as. You know, she was still the, the aging Olympian, but still active and with, uh, with great enthusiasm because life's fun. You know, you have to do what you love to do, and she was a natural. Thanks for listening to Geo Interesting, and special thanks to Sharon, Christina, and Mike for giving us a behind-the-scenes look at NGA's Olympic legacy. NGA is proud to carry the torch for Team GeoInt, providing global support for special events like the Olympic Games. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter to learn more about NGA's Geo Interesting people and mission.